0: Allowed myself to use my curiosity as a way to grow and as a way to really connect with clients, that's when I started to have a lot of success. And that's when I kind of was able to distance myself from this stereotype that I had.
1: Hey, all you intrepid architects out there. If you believe design can change the world, then you've found your humans here on this show, Architecting. My name is Angela Mazzi, and I'm an architect and career coach who's figured out how to live my passion while claiming a successful architecture career and lifestyle. This show is about the architect as a person and will help you bypass the status quo traps in our profession while teaching you how to make an impact in your career. We need to stand in our power as architects and use our skills to make great places. If you're with me, let's get architecting. Welcome, everyone, to this issue of Architecting Podcast. My guest today is Rosanna Gill, the VP of Partnership Development at a social justice PR agency. She is also the podcast host of Breaking Labels and has over a decade of experience in outside sales. So, welcome, Rosanna, to Architecting. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I want to start with just how you got to where you are doing social justice PR, which is fascinating
0: to me, and having this podcast that's challenging the status quo. The easiest one would be to start with how I came to have the podcast. And that started from day one when I was a child, because I grew up in a very unique household, or unique family, I should say, in that, you know, my father's white, my mom's Black, One of his brothers married a Chinese woman and another brother married a Japanese woman. So I grew up looking completely different than my cousins. And with this understanding, luckily for me, that, you know, you could be related to somebody and look nothing like them. And that wasn't the foundation of any of our family was love and, you know, common experiences. But it kind of planted the seed from such a young age that it was okay to ask people and to be curious about people because you just never know what their background is and and you know even with my aunt you know the one who's chinese i mean she's chinese but she was raised in texas and doesn't speak a lick of chinese She has a Southern accent, but then my Japanese aunt, you know, moved from Japan when she was, I think 20 to the United States. And my cousins grew up going to Japanese school on Saturdays and only speaking to her in Japanese. So even that, the fact that like I, even at family gatherings, you know, there was a language being spoken that I didn't know, but that didn't make them less family. So I took that in with me growing up. I think it probably had a large part into why I majored in public relations and journalism because there's just this inquisitive nature that was just, I always had so many questions. When you always ask people about themselves, when you have that natural curiosity, you end up learning that we are so much more alike than we are different. And we sometimes get in our own way of finding that out because of all the preconceived judgments that we have or preconceived notions that we have about people without really getting to know them beyond their looks or the labels that we give them a lot of times. So that is how and why I started the podcast, because I wanted to have conversations where we focus on this one confining label that may be attached to someone. And then you get to hear their story and you find out that there's so much more to everyone beyond a simple label, right? There's so much more to their humanity. And then- that also helped me with work because I have over a decade of outside sales experience, but I was sales was very, very difficult for me at first. I was raised in a household where you are seen, not heard as a child. You always, always, always listen to authority. You don't question authority. You don't push back. And also just probably some, as far as societal habits or learning that as a woman, it, you don't want to be too pushy. You don't want to be too aggressive or too assertive. And I was very, very timid. So sales was incredibly difficult for me. (laughs) And And not to say that you have to be pushy, but you do have to be assertive. You do have to be confident. And that just did not come naturally to me. When I allowed myself to use my curiosity as a way to grow and as a way to really connect with clients, that's when I started to have a lot of success, and that's when I kind of was able to distance myself from this stereotype that I had of what a salesperson should be—that I didn't even like. So that's why I kept pushing against it. Right, right. <laughs> it just—it it taught me so much, and I started to learn that you know when even in connecting with clients, you know, that nobody wants to be sold to. They would much rather answer questions about themselves and find out how you can serve them than To have you just do some, you know, blind pitch that nobody really cares to listen to and their eyes are going to glaze over and, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable for both of you. Yeah. And that's
1: so much what architects deal with when we are making a presentation to clients. Are we making it about them and how we're Mm -hmm. helping to move them out of their pain points and solve their problems? Or are we making it about us and what we want to make or do? Yeah, it's, it's always something you need to be aware of. I love that so much of your work is founded on this idea of curiosity, because sometimes we're taught that curiosity is bad, right? Mm -hmm. That we should not dive deeper that we should suppress our inquisitive nature, that it's dangerous or bad or even rude to ask too many questions. You've actually unlocked this as a key to your success. So what are some of the techniques you use to be curious without seeming like you're being nosy?
0: Mm, that is such a great question, and it's actually something. When I became a manager, and I would train, you know, reps, I would take them in the field, and they would see me interacting with clients, and they would say, "I couldn't believe you asked that question. I thought for sure they'd be offended, but they didn't. They were fine with it." And I said, "It's a lot of time. It's not what you ask, but how you ask. If even in your mind, if you put yourself in a position to come from a place of curiosity as opposed to ulterior motive, that can be sensed by someone. Mm. So." I always made a point to try to focus, to listen very intently and just allow whatever questions naturally came up to ask. Because if you're asking them in a way that kind of goes with what they're saying, right, as opposed to it seeming like you have a line of questioning in your head and you're just firing them at them when you think it's mildly appropriate to do so, they can feel that they know what you're doing and it doesn't feel genuine as opposed to focusing on how can i have a genuine conversation with this person what can i learn from them that would help me serve them and when you come from that place you're going to ask questions differently I, even when i would train my reps and you know we'd have scripts and we'd have different things and they'd say you need to learn this so you know content but i said but you are not supposed to go in there and just read off a bunch of questions because you're never going to connect with the person. It's just, it's like an interview. And who wants to be interviewed, especially by somebody who's trying to sell you something? It's like, well, do your research. Don't ask me questions. But if you go in and you have a conversation and you know what points you need to learn about them, then it just, it reduces that resistance so much. You know, one thing that I always found to be pretty helpful was I would share personal experiences. Now, not so personal that like I'm dumping my dirty laundry on a client. I'll give an example. There was this one client that I went in to see and She wasn't actually a client at the time. She was a prospective client. And I noticed she had a collection of lighthouses. And we get to the end of the conversation. It was a great business conversation, but I was really curious about the lighthouses. So at the end of it, when I could tell from her reception, like we're getting to the close, but she didn't necessarily feel like I had to leave. It was kind of like, okay, well, I guess we're done. And I said, you know, do you mind if I ask a quick question? So I asked first, right? And she said, yeah. And I said, what's the story on the lighthouses? And she laughed and she said, you know what? I have them all here because I had a mild interest in Them and everybody started giving them to me as gifts. Now I can't stand them. So I have them here so I don't have to have them at home. Oh my God. I love that. And I was like, oh my God. Because the same thing had happened to me when I had a thing for angels. And I said, I have an entire shelf of angels that I want nothing to do with. And we're just, we're laughing about it. And it ended that conversation on such a better note. And we had such a stronger connection after that. It was something like if I hadn't asked, would we have ever been able to leave on that note? Mm. Would we have ever been able to have that connection and that understanding of each other? And it was also funny because it kind of became an insight joke between us. Like, have you gotten any more lighthouses? You know, (laughs) has anybody given you something you had no interest in getting? But that's just an example of how if you just take that. And, and here's the thing. If she had shut me down and just said, oh, yeah, yeah, I like lighthouses, I wouldn't have pressed it. But she was happy to tell the story. So you just go off of that.
1: Yeah, I love that idea of finding something that doesn't have an emotional trigger to it to bond over
0: that. Right you can keep using to keep the conversation warm. Mm-hmm. And now I will say, that to be careful because I'm so inquisitive, people tend to open up to me easily. So I have had clients lay their dirty laundry on me pretty heavily, but I sometimes take it as, you know, maybe they needed to unload that today. Maybe they just needed someone to listen to them for a minute. And I'm fine with that. Sometimes it's hard to direct it back to business, but you also have to say, well, don't we all get to a point where we need that connection? And maybe they don't have a space where they can do that, have that during the rest of their day. So I'm fine with that too. But if I'm asking the questions, I try to be very intentional about the ones I ask. Yeah, definitely.
1: So in that vein of being curious, I think a lot of your story, you've tried to get beyond yourself and to think about what motivates others. Why do they do this? Why do they like this? What made them say or do this or that? How has that really helped you? You talked a little bit about how it helped you to not feel salesy but more like you were in service. How did it also help you get past the personality disconnect that you described with
0: trying to put yourself out there when naturally you wanted to pull back? That's a really good question. It really does come back to feeling like I can be in service. And I started noticing the response to me was so different. When I started in sales, I thought that you had to say the perfect thing all the time. You had to be this, almost this like image of yourself that really wasn't true. And and people only liked that. You know, If you had the perfect pitch and the perfect sales questions, then it would be great. And one time I made this presentation to a group, a board, and I did it perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. I knew I'd nailed that presentation. And a week later... (laughs) the head of the board calls me and he goes, you know, I got to tell you, that was an amazing presentation. Like you covered all the bases. And I said, oh, great. So, you know, what are the next steps? He was like, well, that's the thing. They kind of feel like there's has to be a catch. Like they didn't trust it. So because everything was so perfect, it didn't feel real. It almost felt scammy to them. Wow. And I thought, well, I'll be darn. Okay. You know, you get so caught up in like, if I'm going to show up to a client or a potential client, you know, I have to be absolutely perfect and I have to have this put together image. And I understand that, yes, you do want to be professional, but there's something to be said for being human Mm. and allowing them and yourself to have that humanity because again, it always comes back to connection. It was funny because at one point in the, that presentation, I there had been an opening where I could make a joke that sometimes I would make um, with that particular type of clientele and I didn't make it because I was like, nope, I'm on a roll. I have a great pitch. I never not made that joke again because wow. it, it always softened the room. And you, you have to know your clients. The jokes that I would make with our veteran organizations were not the same jokes I would make with our credit union groups. And that's not to say that you have to be up here, you have to be a stand-up comedian, but know your audience and know what are the things that they're okay with. And I'll use this example with the veteran groups. <laughs> they have kind of an edgier sense of humor. And part of it is because they have seen some of the worst you could possibly see in life, especially if they actually served active duty. So for them, At a certain point, they have a certain morbidity to their humor. And it's just a way to help them cope. Whereas in credit unions, it's a financial institution. They're going to find it more funny to think about how their clientele or their members respond to things more so than death. That's not going to be funny to them. It's like you have to know who you're talking to and what their limits are. But again, focusing on not so much on how can I do this perfectly, but how can I connect with them better? Yeah. Yeah. First, they have to like you, right? always, always. That's why it's so funny to me when people are like, oh, I I, you know, I don't like the idea of sales. I'm like, you're in sales all the time. I don't care what you're doing. If you're in the grocery store and you're trying to get customer service to help you, do you go in there? I mean, you can go in there and be rude, but do you usually get what you want? No. You adjust your attitude. You say, you know what? I'm sorry. I know this isn't you, but can you help me? That's sales. That is sales. And people just get so caught up on this one image of what sales is. And it's like, no, we do it all the time. If you're on a date, you're you're selling yourself. <laughs> yeah, true. You've had kind of an interesting career journey. I wanted
1: to explore a little bit with you the point where you stopped accepting the status quo and checking off the boxes on the list and really made a transition to being your own advocate and claiming what you wanted for your career.
0: So unfortunately, I got to a breaking point because I hadn't asked enough questions or I hadn't questioned the status quo. And I was with the same company for over a decade. And I started with them right out of college. And unfortunately, I took to heart this mentality that if you work really hard and you do what you're supposed to, people will always take care of you. And I relocated twice. I moved from Florida to Memphis, from Memphis to England. And, you know, each time would get a slightly step up in pay and, you know, benefits with each relocation. And I just always thought, well, since I'm getting this step up, that must be enough. That must be on par with what everybody else is getting. And the other thing that I didn't realize too long after the fact, the reason I hadn't really questioned anything was because one, it was kind of offered in this kind of in a way that it wasn't negotiable. So I just took it and was like, all right, I'm happy with what I've gotten. And also I'm comparing it to what my parents make. My dad is a teacher in South Carolina. They don't make the most money there. So when I'm making almost the same as my dad living in New England, I'm thinking, well, that must be plenty. That must be a great amount of money. Not factoring in the f- my rent in Boston was almost three times my parents' mortgage or my utilities were double theirs. But in my mind, I'm still comparing myself to what my parents made. So when, okay, I'm, I'm good. Like if, if I can't make it on this, then that's on me. And, and also not factoring in that I'm paying off school loans for this education that allowed me to get this job. It wasn't until things got really bad at one point financially, and I was driving for Lyft and I went to a really good friend of mine who also worked for the same company and said, you know, I I don't think I can do this anymore. Like I'm going to have to get another job. And she was like, what what's going on? I told her what was going on. And she said, do you mind me asking, you know, what do you make? And I told her, and there was just dead silence. Hmm. And she goes, Rosanna, you need to ask for a raise. And I said, is it that bad? And she was like, yeah, it's that bad. And that's when I found out, she didn't tell me exactly what she made. Another manager in another area with much lower cost of living ended up telling me. And these people were making 15% higher than me. Wow. In areas with lower cost of living. And when I found that out, one, I was, I mean, excuse me, I was pissed, but I was also hurt because I had just assumed- that I didn't have to advocate for myself. I worked hard. Everybody knew I worked hard. It was just, it was going to take care of itself. And that was a tough lesson to learn. And even when I asked for the raise, they kind of started to hem and haw and, oh yeah, yeah, we'll consider it. We'll look at it. And I finally said, I don't even have a job, but I'm going to resign. You don't make a choice. I'm resigning. And that's how I ended up getting the raise. But it got to this point where I was like, I can't do this on autopilot. I cannot assume no matter how long I've been with someone, been with a company, that they're always going to have my best interest at heart. Because if you don't ask for more, they're going to assume that you're fine with what they've given you. That is so true. So true. Knowing (laughs) your own worth. That's so
1: often we don't know our own worth. And it's exactly like what you said. We
0: assume that someone else does and that they're going to treat us fairly. And I will say, I think that there's something to be said too for Like comparisons. Again, I was comparing myself to my parents and what they make in Aiken, South Carolina versus what I make in Boston, Massachusetts, and thinking that that was a like correlation. And it wasn't. You need, and I get it, there are a lot of places that do not encourage people to talk about what they make. Understand that that is not for your benefit, that's for their benefit. One of the reasons that I'm so passionate about the agency I'm with now is like they are completely transparent about what everybody makes and the range because they know how often and how common it is for, for people to just think that, well, I guess this is just what it is. And this is what I have to take. And no, no, you don't. So that was a really big lesson to me. You need to ask questions and a lot more and just about personalities and people. You need to ask questions that help your livelihood. Right, right.
1: Because a lot of times what you're being paid, like forget about what it will do for you or forget about money. It's not about greed or anything like that. It's about if we're paying you more, that means you're worth more to us. And Mm -hmm. we see you differently than we see the person we could get away with paying less. It's how your status in the organization lines up with what they're willing to pay you and how your sense of your worth
0: Mm -hmm. aligns
1: with their sense of your worth.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, it's crazy the things that we justify it with. You know, I remember at one point thinking, well, you know, do I really have a right to ask for more? I don't have any children. You know, I'm only supporting myself. Maybe that's why. It's like it doesn't matter. It does not matter if you are in the same position as somebody who has children and you are doing the same amount of work as they are, then you should be paid the same. It's like, stop negotiating for less for yourself. If you're going to negotiate for yourself, negotiate for more, not for less.
1: Yes. But I love that we went there in this conversation because it is about so much more than money. We've all been so conditioned to have this shame around asking for more and not even realizing how we're basically telling someone when we don't ask for our own worth that we don't value ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it transcends a salary at that point. And it really sets you up to succeed or fail.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, when you don't stand up for yourself, when you don't ask for what you're worth, and again, not just financially, just how you show up, I think that that sort of bleeds into other areas of life inevitably it's not too uncommon that if somebody has a hard time standing up for themselves at work that they also have a hard time standing up for themselves in personal relationships and you have to look at what am i allowing in my life even if it's by you not saying anything or by not asking you're still allowing things like a lot of people think if i don't make a choice or if i don't say anything that i don't have to make a decision no 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 that's still a decision That's still a choice. You made a choice, even if you didn't vocalize it. It's tough. I can only imagine what it's like in the field of architecture as far as what people deal with and that questioning that people probably go through of what's okay to ask for, what's not, what's okay to expect, what's not. And it's also hard, especially if you're with a company you've always been with, because you don't know any different. Mm -hmm. And I hate to tell you, but that usually means you're getting paid less and you are. Not taken advantage of, I don't want to make it sound like it's always such a negative thing, but you're probably not advocated as more so if you were coming into the company. I was very lucky that I had a friend of mine who also worked in public relations and she'd worked for various companies and she'd done what I had always been told not to do. I was raised, you stay with one company for 20 to 30 years that you take care of them, they take care of you. And she had done the opposite. And it was kind of always like, oh God, I don't know how she keeps getting all these jobs. Well, guess what? Every time she got these jobs, she was getting more pay. And guess whose pay was stagnant?
1: Oh my gosh. Now that's so true. You know, not that I want to ever encourage people to job hop, but I think part of it is when you look for a new job, they're interviewing you as the person you are today, not the person you used to be. That
0: is such a good point. Yes. Yes. Well, and the beauty of that, I will say for her in having to interview is you have to interview from the person that you are now, not the one that you were when you started the company. And I think there were a lot of times where, again, where I didn't advocate because I still saw myself as the 21-year-old that was hired Mm -hmm. and didn't know anything. Even though I learned all these things, even though I had grown as an employee and then as a manager, there was still part of me that still saw myself as that 21-year-old that was completely green and horrible at sales. Whereas if you have to go in to interview for a position, if you go in with that mindset, you're certainly not going to get it, for one. (laughs) But two, you have to ask yourself, okay, what do I bring to the table? What am I confident speaking about? And I think also that it's a good thing of having a network. Don't just talk to the people that you work with at your company. Find other people in your industry. You need to compare notes you don't need to be an island. Right. Having that broader sense
1: of what's going on can help you in so many ways. I'd love to hear a little bit more. This is so fascinating. Social justice PR. How did you get to that point, which seems like (laughs) such a great fit for you, by the way? How can all of us be a little bit more aware of some of those social justice issues out there?
0: Interestingly enough, I encountered the agency that I'm with now at a convention that I was at for my other company and I met somebody from the agency and I mean, she was just so passionate. About what she did and what they do for their clients. They don't just do social justice, they work for unions, they work for environmental justice groups, all kinds of groups. And I just thought, man, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, oh, that's really cool that they do that. It's neat that there's a PR agency that's passionate about that. I didn't really think about it until fast forward six months later when I finally got to the point where I was like, you know, I think I'm ready to do something different. I have this skill set in that I went to school for public relations and journalism, but I've worked in outside sales for the last 12 years. What am I going to do with this? So where can I? And also, I had a lot of experience working with labor unions and veteran groups, all these different types of groups. And it was kind of like, where, where does that fit? And I was looking and I thought, Oh, I remember that girl, she really liked that agency. Why don't I go see if they have something? I went on their website, it just so happened they posted a couple positions and I thought, okay, let me apply. Now, the interesting thing though is once I started interviewing for the position, I when they found out what my background was in sales, they said, you know what, we actually need somebody in partnership development. We need somebody with a sales background because PR people by nature do not have that. So then they ended up creating a position for me. Wow, wow. it was just because just over the course of the conversation, they could tell from the questions I asked in the interview that I had an interest and a passion in what they did, not just the agency and the role, but what they did for their clients. And it just kind of went from there.
1: Just the the fact that you were able to create a job that was what you wanted, that was Mm -hmm. aligned with your skills and your interests and your passion, it didn't exist Mm-mm. you created it for yourself just by making yourself available to opportunities.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think that is um, a message I preach often on this podcast. And it's so great to see that it really, there are success stories of this, that it is true that when you have that clarity of I learned my lessons, but this mm-hmm. is what I love. And I'm going to seek out a place that's doing what I want to do and and then it just happens, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's so great. The other part of what I wanted to ask was related to the whole idea of the advocacy and social oh. justice PR and mm-hmm. how that helps you to feel inspired and energized about the work that you're doing.
0: That was actually something that was unique because the job that I was with for 12 years, we worked with a lot of these groups that were that tended to be underserved. I remember I um, first started with the company, my first one, we'd had this free child. Safe program we did. And it was a life insurance company, but they had this, this child safety program. And I encountered so many families that had so little and you start realizing that there aren't as many resources available to families as you just assume that there are, or that they don't know how to access them. And so I kind of started to see, you know, the the benefit of how for-profit companies really ha- can have a significant role in communities and in how they impact them. And it doesn't always have to be the nonprofits that do everything. Like, I think there's a certain level and it's corporate social responsibility, but that feels like such such a big term when really it's just for-profit companies giving a darn about people and finding ways to help them. I will say one of the things that really stood out to me when I was interviewing for the agency that I'm with is that the two people who essentially run it hand in hand, both of them were so obviously passionate about the people that they serve, not just the clients, but the people who benefit, whether it's healthcare workers or fast food workers, all these people that sometimes tend to be forgotten. And when I saw that, I didn't have to sell myself to them because I have a natural passion. For that. And it was so nice to see that there was another company that had this belief that you can do well by doing good in the world. The beauty of it is is now that I'm with them, I get to see that they really mean it. You know, there are some companies that say all the right things on their website. They make all the really nice public relations statements. They say that they believe in corporate social responsibility, but you really don't know that until you're actually working in the organization day in and day out and you get to see What truly matters to the organization. I wish I'd proactively look to see what other companies are like that because they're out there. You just have to look for it. I think sometimes the way you can tell if you're curious is is go to not just the website, but go to their, our people. If they have a section about who their teammates are or who the people are that make up that agency. That's a great tip. Right? Like you're going to learn so much about them. And yes, you can do your research and your little sleuthing on LinkedIn, but I think it helps to see what they really value in their organization. You can really get to know them that way. That's usually important. And again, I will say going back to talking to people outside of your agency or whatever company you work at, talking to that same friend who had basically leveled up in all of her positions over the last decade while I stayed at one company. I asked her before I started interviewing, what are the best case scenarios? Like, what is realistic to ask for? Because I hadn't been in the job search. I hadn't been in the job field, interview field for over a decade. I didn't know. And she told me, you know, hey, there are companies that have these for benefits. You can negotiate this part of your benefit package, all these things and I'm like, oh my God, I never would have thought to do that. So again, be open, ask people. They're more than willing to help you, especially if they're a friend. But even if it's just somebody in your industry, don't be so focused on what your personal experience is. Go out and ask, see what else is out there or see what other options are out there. You might be really surprised what you find. Even if you
1: had been able to get financially what you wanted out of your old company, you wouldn't be doing this really Mm -hmm. mission-driven kind of work that you're doing. So put your intentions out there. They really do align to take you where you need to go if you're open to the opportunities. Yes. I guess that is another thing I would love to hear your insights on is you went from somebody who didn't take a lot of risks to taking- a fairly big risk, how did you get
0: over second thoughts or guilt or anything like that? That's such a good question. I will say I had been priming myself for this for a little while. You know, this is going to sound crazy to go back this far. Growing up, I was so terribly timid and scared that I remember my parents and my aunts and uncles sitting me down at a table before I graduated high school saying, listen, you're so sensitive. You cry about everything. Everything hurts their feelings. We're really worried about you in the professional world. <laughs> like... We don't know how you're going to survive on your own. And so the first step for me was going to college four and a half hours away from home by myself. And it was terrifying. And then it was relocating to Memphis, Tennessee, where I knew no one. And then it was relocating to Boston, where I knew no one. And the thing about it is when you relocate for work, you kind of have a safety net. Even though I didn't have like a bunch of friends or anybody I knew, I still had work people that could tell me places. So it was like I kind of was moving out of my shell gradually over time. And I know it's not cool in the sense that you can read a book and it happens overnight, but for me, it was a much longer process. took me taking those steps. I would say know yourself. Know what are the things that you can gradually take steps to kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone little by little. Because when you do it little by little, it's not going to feel like this huge monumental thing that you have to do. You just get more and more comfortable with yourself. An example, again, this is not work related, but it had an impact. I had always wanted to take dancing lessons. In all the areas I'd lived, they only had them during the weekdays. I was usually working and it was usually too cost prohibitive. So I moved to to Boston. I'm looking up just fun things to do. And I come across these dance lessons, salsa for 10 bucks. I can afford 10 bucks. And they had them on Fridays and Saturday nights. At this point, I had moved enough times by myself that I was like, I don't care if nobody's going to go with me. I'll go by myself. That was a huge step for me. To go to that sort of a situation and do something I wanted to do because I wanted to and not because somebody else was willing to go with me. It was this much larger process happening of me getting to the point where it was like, you know what? I don't really care if anybody else wants to or likes it. I'm going to do it because I want to. And the more you get in the habit of doing that, you get to a point like I did. In my career where I said, I want to do something different. And it doesn't matter if anybody else thinks it's a good idea. I'm not going to ask for their advice. I'm doing it because I want to. And I know it's time. And you do know. I really do believe if we listen to our intuition, we know what's right. Just a matter of listening,
1: which a lot of people get so full of the chatter in their world. That's really just about the busyness that they <laughs> lose touch with themselves.
0: Absolutely. That is for me, the benefit of moving a few times. <laughs> when you don't have that fallproof fall proof, like the safety net of having a friend that you can call every single time and let's go do something because I want to stay busy and I don't want to think about the fact that I'm completely on my own. Kind of had to sit and think with yourself a little bit and you, you really have to take the time to do that. And I will like, say the benefit to me last year was actually COVID which might sound crazy to people, but I had been on the road so much before COVID that I was always busy. And I know that I wanted to do something different, but again, I hadn't really taken the time to figure out what. Well, when I'm not on the road every weekday and I'm at home, I did the whole Netflix thing for the first week. I was like, oh my God, this is what people do during weeknights. They watch Netflix. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I binged one show and then I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm, I don't think I need to do that for the rest of COVID. I actually went to um, HubSpot. Have you heard of oh, HubSpot? Yeah, yeah. They have a bunch of free- bunch of courses. And I ended up taking the content marketing course because I was like, well, don't really know exactly what I want to do. Maybe taking a couple courses will give me some ideas. And sure enough, By process of elimination on what I was interested in taking courses on, that's what told me what I wanted more of.
1: Oh, I love that. You just go with the affinity and then start to see the pattern.
0: Mm -hmm. And I found out I was much more interested in marketing. I was much more interested in advertising than I really thought I ever would be. And I thought, okay, so I need to go towards something like that in that area. And then it made it a lot easier because, I mean, when you're looking at jobs, if there's so how many different companies, you know, how do you know which is right for you? Well, I knew this is what lights me up. This is what I'm curious to do more of. Process of elimination. It's a lot easier to figure it out. Lo and behold, I ended up working for a PR agency.
1: You kind of touched on getting out of your comfort zone, even though it doesn't feel comfortable to feel uncomfortable, you unlock so many more insights. I know that is what your podcast is all about. Tell us a little bit more about what led you to start it, what you're really hoping to help people achieve when they listen.
0: Again, the podcast is something that I have known I wanted to do for probably four years, but I was so stuck on this, like I'm not good with technology. I'm not a tech person. Basically, I was more stuck on the, all the reasons I couldn't do it than trying to figure out a way to do it. And what happened was I started with my agency and a couple months in, I just thought I just left a company after 12 years. I got a job that I never thought I would get. Who's to say I can't figure out a podcast. It, again, it's, you know, I had a lot more confidence in myself. I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to do things wrong, but I'll figure it out. If I've gotten this far, I can figure this out. And I got actually clarity on what I wanted the podcast to be about in the weirdest way craziest way. I listened to a book called um, Down the Rabbit Hole by Holly Madison. I don't know if you know, but she was one of Hugh Hefner's girlfriends. I remember this show. (laughs) I loved that show. Loved it because it was right after college, like right when I entered the work world. And I just, just the glamour and just the, the idea captivated by it. My roommate and I would watch it together all the time. And so I don't even know why I decided to listen to her book, but I did. And I'm listening and I'm hearing her talk about the behind the scenes of this show that I had all these beliefs about what their relationship was like, what the girls' lives were like. In listening to this book, I find out it is nothing like we saw on TV. It couldn't have been more different. And there are all these things happening. And I just thought, God, how often is that the case for all of us? Especially in the age of social media, you have this one life on social media, this highlight reel. But behind closed doors, it is a completely different thing. Not all of us have a platform like Holly Madison to write a book that people will actually listen to. I was curious because I saw her on a reality show. Most people don't have a reality show. And I thought, okay, that's what breaking labels is going to be. Because the perception for her is that she's just another dumb blonde. You want to be negative, a blonde bimbo. But when you listen to this book, you know that is not her at all. And I thought, that's what I want to focus on is what are these labels that either people put on us or sometimes we put on ourselves that is the tiniest part of who we are if it's even a part of who we are and how do people get past that? Because inevitably, especially if it's something that you have allowed to hold yourself back with, the first episode of the podcast is actually my personal story of always feeling like I was the pretty girl sidekick. Like I was the funny friend, I was the supportive friend, but I was never the one who could really go for what they wanted or stand up for themselves. Thinking and looking at what was it that helped me get over that? And it was a lot of different things. It was listening to podcasts, reading books, listening to books, whatever it may be, but wanting to really delve into that with different people. The fun that I get to have with the podcast is I don't have to focus on one type of person. I don't know a single type of person in this world who hasn't had a label put on them. That is the one thing that connects us all. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. It doesn't matter where you're from, who you say you are. We all have labels or limiting beliefs or identities. And I want to talk about that. What is it that if somebody could know anything about you beyond that label, what would it be? That's the premise of it. And it's been such a fun ride so far. I love it.
1: You definitely have to go look it up. It's breaking labels. I think you said something the other day, Rosanna, about... Pick the episode that sounds like it will make you the most uncomfortable because that's the one you most need to
0: listen to. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The idea of it. And I, I go back and forth. On, should I put what the label is? Because maybe people won't listen to certain episodes because they're like, oh, I don't have anything in common, that label. But that's the one you have to listen to because you're going to be so surprised with what you have in common. And I know going into it, you know, some of the labels that I have on there that are probably ones that it's very easy to judge or very easy to dismiss. The fun thing has been the, messages I've gotten from people who were like, I didn't want to listen to this episode. I didn't think I would have anything in common with this person, but I got it. I at least had one thing in common with them. And it's like, yeah, because we're so much more alike than we are
1: different. Right. And that just brings us full circle to this idea of being curious and through that curiosity, finding the empathy that we need. We can't make a difference in this world if we're just driving what we believe out there. Mm -hmm. We really have to take time to understand and to care and to empower other people through what we're doing mm-hmm. that is what I love about your story well it has been so much fun having you on the show oh my gosh I know when we talk we just can talk forever I really am so glad that the audience got to hear a little bit more about your story and how it wasn't always an easy process but you've come to be an advocate first for yourself mm-hmm. and now for other people in such a big way thank you this was so fun I enjoyed
0: it so much Really appreciate the opportunity to come on. This is awesome.
1: Everybody listen to Breaking Labels. You will be so happy you did. All right. Take
0: care. All right. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for being part of this episode of Architecting. If you enjoyed the show, join our community on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn to keep up with what's in the show pipeline, including a behind the scenes look at my architecture lifestyle. Feel free to share your content ideas. Love to hear your feedback. You can also visit architectingpodcast.com to download free career content and learn about my classes, book, and coaching programs. Until next time, stay inspired.